On this episode of Long Riders Radio, you're going to get to listen to me complain about my back hurting for 11 days. It's part one of my 2019 Iron Butt Rally Ride Report. Coming up! Support for Long Riders Radio comes from DiscountRamps.com. DiscountRamps.com offers a huge selection of power sports products for your ATV, UTV, motorcycle, and more. Everything you need to load, haul, or transport your power sports toys. Long Riders Radio listeners can save 15% off their order by using coupon code LONG. That's L-O-N-G at DiscountRamps.com. Well, hello. It is the end of September. And hey, it's only been, what, two months, three months since the end of the Iron Butt Rally. Probably should do my ride report. Well, so what you're going to get today is the first half of my ride report because I, well, A, it took me a little bit longer to write it than I thought it would. And B, uh, I always try to keep these episodes somewhere in the neighborhood of a half an hour to an hour long. And I had a feeling that uh, if I put it all in one, it was going to be just over, I mean, just a little bit too long, uh, for what I wanted for an episode. So we'll see how this works. Uh, but this is the first half of my iron butt rally. It'll get you basically through day five. I think it goes to the end of the day five. So just a couple quick housekeeping items. Uh, thank you to everyone who's, uh, used that code for discount ramps. Hopefully you found something you want. Uh, and need. Uh, I would also just throw out there that this is going to be the last month uh, that Discount Ramps is running this ad. So uh, if uh, if you've been been waiting to get that special something, uh, probably should do that sooner rather than later while that code's still good. So anyway, thank you again for all your support. That's uh, been real helpful to me. And enjoy my ride report. Rally day minus 702, July 14th, 2017. I was somewhere on I-94 in Minnesota when I got the call from my dad that my grandmother had passed away. This wasn't unexpected. Following the 2017 Iron Butt Rally, I had planned to leave my bike in Minneapolis and fly home, then fly back out the subsequent week to retrieve my bike. During that intervening week, I got a call from Life Alert telling me my grandmother had fallen and couldn't get up. And in all seriousness, the cryptic message told me that she was fine, but had been transported to the hospital. Now, this struck me as odd, as typically people who are fine don't get transported to the hospital. And I'll spare you the details, but suffice it to say, she apparently had hit her head rather hard and essentially ended up having a massive stroke. She was alive but unconscious, and it was really just a matter of time. I was scheduled to fly back out to Minneapolis that Friday to retrieve my bike. I decided to go knowing that it was very likely she would be gone by the time I returned home. And it wasn't long after getting on the road that I got the news. So needless to say, I had quite a bit of helmet time to process this. And in an effort not to dwell on it, I thought a lot about the recent rally. I had finished 50th and was very content with it. My only goal was to finish, and I accomplished that goal. However, I knew I could do better. And I knew that I could have taken better, more efficient routes, particularly on legs one and three. 
For example, I arrived at the finish line at 6.30 p.m. the night prior to the finish. Based on the route I'd chosen and the unique way the combination bonuses worked in that rally, there really wasn't much I could have done short of going back out that night and risking having a problem that would potentially preclude a finish. In hindsight, it wouldn't have mattered points-wise anyway. However, the fact remains that I thought I could do better. And as I continued my journey home, I came to the decision that I would be back for 2019. Rally day minus 480, which is February 21st, 2018. The email announcing the 2019 IBR arrived in my inbox. I quickly filled out everything and sent in my application. Rally day minus 441, April 1st, 2018. Right on schedule, I received an email from Lisa stating that my name had been drawn for the 2019 Iron Butt Rally. In an interesting similarity to the 2017 event, I was actually in the same place when I received the email for the 2017 event, Bill Watts Driveway in Vancouver, Canada. Rally day minus 412, April 30th, 2018. This is really the day the story starts, in my opinion, because it was really rally-like in the way the events unfolded. It was a Sunday evening, and I thought to myself, gee, I haven't seen any emails about the IBR lately. I remember getting something by now. Maybe I should check and make sure I didn't miss something. And boy, had I missed something. Just the minor little detail of completing the application and sending in the entry fee, which was due today. I won't lie, panic set in just a little bit. However, all was not lost. It was about 9 p.m. Pacific time, and I had an hour to go until midnight Central time. Two things went through my head. One, I need to get this done quickly. And two, I need to do it in such a way as to not call any attention to it, lest there be no end to the ribbing from rally staff once the rally started. I hopped on PayPal and sent off the money and got all the forms printed out and dated, then drove them over to the post office. They wouldn't go out until Monday morning, but I figured that was probably okay. Crisis averted. The days between minus 412 and minus 7 were pretty boring, actually. And this time frame is talked about in my rally preparation episode, which is episode 73, so I'm not going to repeat them here. The next big challenge was how I was going to get both me and my FJR to Greenville, South Carolina for the start. I'd gone back and forth on how I would be doing this, but in the end, I decided just to ride out the week prior to the event. Most importantly, I needed this time to get mentally into rally mode. Between work, life, and everything else, my head was most definitely not in the game at this point. John Kerr and I decided to ride out together, and he would be able to leave from Gillette, Wyoming on June 11th. I ended up leaving on June 9th and took a relatively leisurely ride to get to Gillette in two days. There I met up with John and we started our trip east and south. The ride to Greenville was relatively uneventful with two notable exceptions. The first was the huge low pressure system that had set up shop in the middle of the country. We got rained on pretty good and had to make a slight detour because I-29 was flooded. The second was a little more serious. I have my credit card set up to give me an alert on my cell phone every time it's used. As I'm riding along, it pops up with a $300 charge to Vegas.com. Now, I'm pretty sure I didn't order that one on accident. Great. Then, later that night, a second charge to Vegas.com pops up. The card had obviously been compromised. A quick call to the issuer confirmed this, and they were happy to shut down the card and reissue a new one to be sent to my house on the opposite side of the country. This obviously wasn't ideal. While it wasn't the end of the world, it would be a major pain and would put me on my backup card even before the rally began. 
After a back and forth with the customer service representative, we found a solution. They would overnight a new card to me at the Greenville Marriott. And as it turned out, the card ended up arriving at the hotel before I did. It did lead to a rather humorous event at the front desk when checking in when they asked for my card, and then I asked for my mail, opened it, and then activated the card and handed it over to the front desk staff. Once at Rally Headquarters, things became a bit of a blur. There's really a lot of downtime, but there's still lots of exciting things to do, not the least of which was the Big Money Rally Banquet. There were also lots of listeners here, and I got a chance to meet a lot of you, and thank you all for stopping by and saying hi. That really makes my day when I get to meet people like that. Having done all this before, I was much less apprehensive about the check-in and inspection process for the rally than I was the last time around. As in 2017, everything went smoothly with check-in, and then it was time to wait some more. I was starting to see Eric Jewell's genius of arriving an hour before inspection ends. It was during this wait that I somehow managed to tweak my upper back and neck. I don't know what I did, but by the opening banquet, I was definitely hurting quite a bit. And unfortunately, this would prove to be an issue during the entire first leg of the rally. Rally day minus one. Fast forward to the opening banquet and the moment we'd all been waiting for. Jeff Earls takes the stage to talk about the route. Now, my expectations were sky high. I'd heard, unofficially of course, that this bonus pack would be, quote, epic. And given the 2017 event, I couldn't wait to see it. I tore into my envelope and quickly flipped through the pack, which seemed rather small. Only about 60 bonuses. Interesting. With the banquet over, everyone quickly retired to their rooms to begin planning. The first realization I quickly came to was that this rally would be nothing like the 2017 event. The second realization I came to was that if I wanted to be competitive, this first leg was going to be brutal. Both checkpoints for this event were in Kennewick, Washington. Kennewick is pretty much as far away as you can get in the continental United States from Greenville, South Carolina. Straight there, it's about 2,500 miles, and we have three days. As you'd likely expect, there were very few points in a straight line between Greenville and Kennewick. Another thing that surprised me was the lack of combination bonuses. Are we sure that Jeff Earls put this rally together? Looking at my bonus map, I could see four large point bonuses that a route could be built around. Why Arizona? South Florida, Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and Long Island, New York. Geography buffs out there will note that three of the four of these bonuses involve traveling in the exact opposite direction from Kennewick, but never mind that now. While somewhat cliche, I will now complain about Garmin Base Camp. Previously, I'd been able to rely on Base Camp's estimates of time. While they're far from exact, they tend to be good enough to at least plan out your route, and I found that the the time estimates tend to be long, but they're long enough that they make up for stops you need to make along the way, such as gas and getting bonuses. However, on this rally, they were way off. I ended up throwing out routes with high point values because I didn't think I'd be able to make it on time, and or b- because I wouldn't be able to make a daylight-only bonus. Unfortunately, I only realized that after the fact. In the end, I settled on a route that placed my first bonus at the end of day two on the opposite side of the country in Y, Arizona. What could possibly go wrong? To say the least, I was not happy about my route. Quite frankly, I was not happy about much of anything at this point. My back and neck were killing me, and my mind was in a very negative place. Pro tip, this is not a good way to start an 11-day rally. Day 1. 
I think if you polled the riders just before the start about what they're most worried about on the rally, a good majority of them would answer getting out of the parking lot without stalling or dropping the bike. Everyone's nerves are on edge. The tension and anticipation in the air is palpable. It's how I imagine a thoroughbred must feel at the start of a race. Let me out of this starting gate and let me go. I did manage to get out of the parking lot without incident, and unlike the 2017 event, I was even able to get on the freeway going in the correct direction. As a side note, the on-ramp was blocked, I didn't make a wrong turn. Once off and running, my aim was to get down to I-20 and start heading west as quick as I could. Atlanta was the first major challenge, and one missed exit and reroute later, I was on my way. There are a few things that I do fairly constantly while in rally mode. Things like checking to make sure my wallet is in my pocket. Checking to make sure the pocket is zipped. Checking to make sure my spot is updating. Checking my fuel range. Checking on the weather ahead of me. Checking to make sure my wallet is in my pocket. And so on. Remember that low pressure system I spoke about earlier? Well, its effects were being felt all up and down the length of the Mississippi River, which is going to be a bit of foreshadowing. As I made my way through Alabama and Mississippi, I could see dark clouds on the horizon. A quick check of the weather radar showed a few warnings that caught my attention, namely one that said severe thunderstorm warning and another that said tornado warning. This should be fun. As it turned out, I ended up catching the trailing edge of the cell and didn't have any negative effects other than getting really wet and blown around a bit. While it didn't cost me any time, it also didn't do anything to improve my mental state. I decided to get a hotel room outside of Dallas around 10 o'clock p.m. Central Time. While this may seem a bit early, it had been a very long day and I was going to need to stop at some point anyway on the way to bonus number one in Y, Arizona. It was just a question of where. And I was really tired. I hadn't slept well and was pretty drained mentally from the bad weather. And did I mention my back hurt? Getting some rest was the right call as there was no reason to push things at this point. Rally Day 2 As would be the theme on this rally, when I woke up, I got on the bike. I had set my alarm for 5, but was awake at 4 and on the bike and on the road by 4.30 and on my way to Dallas. This was going to be a long day. I was able to make it through the Metroplex before traffic built up too much, and then started the long slog across West Texas. The weather was pretty good, but the temperature started building the wester I went. One moment of levity was when I received a text message from AT&T welcoming me to Mexico as my phone pinged off a cell tower on the other side of the border. Once I got to Arizona, the temperature necessitated stopping to fill up my trusty Ziploc bag with ice. This had an immediate positive effect on everything, and I started feeling significantly better, both mentally and physically, as I was finally within striking distance of my first bonus. However, Tucson was first, and in true Tucson fashion, it required exiting the freeway and going on surface streets. This, in a word, sucked. I hate you, Tucson. Finally, a mere 36 hours after the start of the rally, I logged my first points in Y, Arizona. My next planned bonus was in Rachel, Nevada, and the goal for tonight was to get as far north as I could before stopping for some rest. I ended up spending the night in Kingman, Arizona at about midnight Pacific time. It had been a long day at almost 1,500 miles and 22 hours. I was ready for some sleep and to take my rest bonus. Rally Day 3 At 8 o'clock the next morning, I was up standing at an ATM to get a receipt to end my rest bonus. 
From here, I would head north to Las Vegas, then continued north to Rachel, Nevada, and the Little Ailey Inn, the site of my next bonus. The trip would have been really boring had it not been for the road striping operations on US-93 outside of Alamo, Nevada. Now, I try to be respectful of people who work on or near roads. They have a very dangerous job. However, if you're going to drive a truck painting stripes on a road with a big sign on it that says, Do Not Pass, it might be a good idea to stop occasionally to let traffic pass you. After about 20 minutes of a speed that was right between first and second gear, I was getting very hot and it had enough. I did my best to negotiate both the oncoming traffic and the angry traffic that was going in my direction to get past this wonderful person driving this truck. Finally, some fresh air. One effect this had was on fuel. Gas in central Nevada is few and far between. There was gas in Ash Springs, but I would be damned if I was going to stop there and take the chance of getting behind the striping truck again. So I pressed on and made the turn onto Nevada 375. I made it out to Rachel and got my picture of the little alien. It hadn't changed much since the last time I was there on Butt Light 8. I did have a decision to make, however. Because I'd skipped gas in Ash Springs, I would be very tight on gas along my planned route. As I rode along, it became very clear that I would be be able to just barely make it or be a few miles short. I decided the risk wasn't worth it at this point in the rally and bit the bullet and spent the 20 minutes to head over to Tonopah to fill up. It also gave me a chance to get back into some cell phone range, which was nice. After getting gas, I headed north on Nevada 376 towards I-80. The next few bonuses I was after were in central Oregon, and so my plan was to head for Burns, Oregon that night to set myself up for an easy ride into the checkpoint. However, that would not be the case. It quickly became apparent that there was something going on in Burns. It turned out to be some kind of horse festival or other such nonsense. Not only was every hotel room filled, there weren't any hotels, period, between me and Burns or anywhere within about 100 miles. Like nothing. The closest hotels were in Winnemucca, Nevada or Caldwell, Idaho. Not exactly where I needed to go. I decided to pull off on an on-ramp to formulate a plan. I decided that the least bad option was to stop very early in Winnemucca, then get up very early to continue my planned route. I rolled into Winnemucca about 6.30 p.m. and got a room, got some food, then went to bed. Rally day four, barely. I woke up about 1.30 and was on the bike by 2 o'clock on my way out of town. One minor item I hadn't considered when putting on my gear, it was really cold. I ended up stopping on the side of the road to put my heated gear on, which must have been hilarious to anyone driving by. Luckily, there weren't many cars on the road at that point. After that, I was much happier. This turned out to be another very long day, mostly because of how early it started. I was able to pick up my remaining two planned bonuses, then head for Kennewick. There really wasn't anything exciting other than the riding. The rally's theme of the road less traveled was really starting to hit home. The previous two bonuses were definitely less traveled, but weren't really what I would consider amazing motorcycling roads. The next two definitely were, and I had a lot of fun, and I will definitely be going back. Penalty points began to accrue at 8 p.m., and I arrived early at 4.45 with plenty of time to spare. Upon arrival at the Rally Hotel, it was great to see a lot of people that I knew, and I wanted to get into scoring as soon as I could. I spent some time to get all the info transferred from my notepad over to my scoring sheet and make sure I had all my receipts and everything else in order. 
Scoring turned out to be a breeze, as is usual once I got into the room. There was a decent wait, but nothing horrible. I didn't leave any points on the table, and soon I was free to get some food and head up to the room to get some rest. I needed it. Rally Day 5 Now, the Kennewick Hilton Garden Inn is not exactly a huge hotel. In fact, there were actually two hotels for this rally. And the Hilton Garden Inn was small enough that the best place for everyone to get into one place was in the lobby. And I can only imagine what someone walking through that lobby must have been thinking at four in the morning with a uh, seeing a very motley crew of LD riders. It must have been quite the sight. As is normal for a rider meeting, Jeff gave us the rundown of the top 10 scorers and made a few announcements, the most important of which was that Alaska would be in play for this leg of the rally and that the second checkpoint would be optional. Additionally, there would be no leg three bonus pack nor scoring for after leg two. While I really wanted to go to Alaska, I knew it wasn't a wise move. There was also a new bonus pack to hand out, and I quickly saw where the quote epic description I had heard came from. This thing was a good inch thick and had combos galore. After the rider meeting, the full results of the leg were posted, and I found myself in 51st place. My goal for this rally was to improve on my 2017 finish of 50th, so needless to say, I was a bit disappointed. It was then that I saw J.D. Smith look up his score and found himself in 55th place. He looked like a kid on Christmas morning, and seeing how happy it made him, made me reassess me feeling sorry for myself and got my head back into the game a little bit. Delving into the leg two slash three bonus pack, I immediately saw where we where I was going to go. Oh, Canada. I felt like I had a bit of an advantage here. While I hadn't been to these exact places, I definitely had been to the areas I mapped out a general route and checked the schedule for the first ferry I needed to take. If I left soon, I could make it, so I packed my stuff and hit the road. This first ferry would be the first of many. While I was going places on the mainland, there were no roads that got directly there. You had to take a ferry. Uh, In fact, a minimum of four ferry rides would be required to hit the two high point value bonuses in Canada. I was definitely in the zone as I headed north and had a lot of confidence. This was my backyard. I successfully negotiated the traffic north of Seattle and got to the border. My Nexus card allowed me to bypass the longest of the line, and I got through the border in a little under five minutes. From there, I found the best way to get through Vancouver, and soon the ferry dock was in sight, and I rolled onto the ferry and was the very last vehicle on that boat. Now, I knew this put me at least an hour ahead of anyone else, and my destination for my first bonus was Skookumchuck Rapids. This is a saltwater tidal rapid that gets up to speeds of 20 knots. It's pretty amazing, and it's somewhere I've always wanted to go, though I didn't think it would be on a motorcycle trip. On the ferry, I started planning out the rest of this leg. The other high point value bonus was at the very northern tip of Vancouver Island. Then there was no direct way of getting there. It would involve taking two additional ferries, and there were two different ways I could go, one to the north and one to the south. This is where I made a mistake in my strategy. I knew if I went north, I would end up having to stay on the mainland for at least one night because I would miss the last ferry over to Vancouver Island. In hindsight, this was actually a better move as it would have placed me further north on Vancouver Island, but I didn't know it at the time. The second option would get me over to Vancouver Island that night, but it would involve a fair amount of backtracking. I mistakenly thought I could continue north on Vancouver Island that night, but let's not get too far from ourselves. The next major task was getting to Skookumchuck Rapids. 
The bonus listing stated that the bonus location would require a 2.5 mile hike from the trailhead. And also mentioned in passing was a half mile hike to the trailhead. So this meant it was a total of a six mile hike round trip. But boy, these were a lot of points and I sure wasn't going to pass them up. Upon arrival in the parking area, I stripped off my riding suit and boots and donned my hat and walking shoes. It was every bit of three miles out there, but the views were worth it. I managed to get there at slack water, so I didn't get to see any of the action. So I guess I'll have to go back. On my hike back out, I started passing other riders who were making their trek down to the water. I got dressed quickly and headed back to the ferry, well, ferries, because I needed to take two. After those two ferries, I made it over to Nanaimo on Vancouver Island just after midnight. On the ferry ride over, I was able to determine that I either had to stay in Nanaimo or I was going to sleep on the side of the road north of Nanaimo. There just weren't any hotels on the northern part of the island. And based on my prior dealings with that area, sleeping on the side of the road didn't seem like the wisest of ideas, especially given the large quantity of beef jerky I was carrying. So long story short, I stayed the night in Nanaimo. Rally Day 6 That morning, I was up and on the road by 6 o'clock. The goal for today was to get to the northern end of the island. As a side note, Vancouver Island is absolutely enormous. It's about 300 miles long. And it's not like there's a freeway that runs up to the north end of the island. It's a two-lane highway. It just kept going and going and going and going. It did, however, give me a lot of time to plan out the remainder of my day. I figured that my original plan of going to Micah Dam in the BC interior was probably a bit aggressive, so I figured out a new route that had two main advantages to it. One, it was almost the same number of points as was a much easier ride, and two, it went right by my house. At this point, I'd been on the road for almost two weeks, and was getting a little homesick for my family. I'd always heard the mantra that you shouldn't ever go home on a rally. However, the more I thought about it, the more this made sense. My new plan would be to take my rest bonus at home. Four hours later, I finally reached Port Hardy, took a picture of a giant carrot, then started heading back south. There was another bonus that I could have hit on my way south of the island. However, it wasn't very many points, and it would have added two hours to the trip. And actually, it would have ended up costing me closer to four hours, as I would have missed a ferry and had to take a later ferry. So, that one got cut. I made it back to Nanaimo and got back on the ferry to head back to the mainland. The past two days had been great and had done wonders to lift my spirits. My plan for the ferry ride was to plan out my leg three. This, however, did not go very well, as I wasn't able to find a good route that would get me to even bronze finisher status, let alone silver or gold like I wanted. No matter what I did, I just couldn't find a good route. Spirits began to crash to the ground once again. I did pick up one last bonus outside Vancouver, then started heading south to go home. I had made it clear to my wife and daughter that I wasn't going to have a lot of time at home and would only be there for my eight-hour rest bonus, so not to get their hopes up too far. I rolled into my house about 10 o'clock, and boy, was that the medicine I needed. This was by far the best decision I made on this rally, and I can say without a doubt that I would not have finished the rally if I hadn't gone home. I threw my clothes in the washer, got some better walking shoes, and slept in my, and slept in my own bed. Again, best decision ever. Prior to this, I had really considered calling it quits at the second checkpoint. The thought of continuing to the other side of the country, then having to ride all the way back, was not seeming very enticing to me at this point. Seeing, that, seeing my family gave me what I needed to continue on. 
All right. Well, I think that's probably as good a place as any to uh, make the break because I think this is just a little bit too long for uh, for one episode. So we'll break it up into two episodes and uh, call her good. So uh, next episode I will have out very shortly. I uh, just got to finish writing everything and uh, go from there. But uh, with that... If you'd like to get in contact with me, there's lots of ways you can do it. Easiest way is to head over to the website, www.longridersradio.com. And hey, another big thank you to the folks over at DiscountRamps.com for their support on this episode. Remember, DiscountRamps.com offers a huge selection of power sports products for your ATV, UTV, motorcycle, and more. Everything you need to load, haul, or transport your power sports toys. Longriders Radio listeners can save 15% with coupon code LONG, and that's L-O-N-G, over at DiscountRamps.com. And as always, we need to thank this show's founder, Mr. Michael Cox. You know, I was talking to Mike the other day, and I asked him, Mike, can you describe the last couple of episodes of Long Riders Radio in one word? And he said, in a word, sucked. Ride safe, everyone. <laughs>